sitting there and he's thinking to himself man I just defeated these five strong kings they might come after me and he might be thinking darn I gave up a lot of money you guys know what that's like right like you do something righteous and then you realize what you just passed on as well and you're, and you're kind of thinking to yourself man maybe I did it wrong I mean I could have I could have used all those goods but I love it. the Lord comes to him and says don't be afraid I love that God loves a cheerful giver. Even if you tithe, if you give, maybe in your heart you'd rather have stuff instead. That's not a cheerful giver. It's actually selfishness. As Pastor Daniel explains in part of this message from Genesis, when our actions don't reflect our hearts, there's a disconnect. God gave his son in love, and today we'll hear how Abram makes a choice that reflected his heart towards God. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis 12:14 with his continuing study entitled The Abrahamic Covenant. Jesus is real. Now what's interesting here, notice this. Cuz you know what happens? He, Abram goes on out, he attacks them, and he wins. And it's fascinating that Abram with the Lord and 318 men could do what five kings without the Lord couldn't do. Do you see that? Abram, with 318 men and the Lord on his side, did what five kings and their armies could not do without the Lord. My pastor used to always say, Daniel, you and the Lord in any crowd is a majority. And I think that's important for us to remember that if the Lord is on our side, then it's all going to be okay. That you and the Lord in any crowd is a majority. So it's interesting. What happens now is Abram goes, he defeats these kings of the east. Look what it says in verse 16. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. So Abram is returning with Lot, with all of the people, all of the women, all of the goods, and now the king of Sodom is coming to meet with Abram. But then this story, this narrative gets interrupted. In verse 18, look what it says. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So Abram is returning from battle, victorious. The king of Sodom is coming to meet him. And then this man, Melchizedek, king of Salem, shows up. Now, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, gets a lot of time in the scriptures as well as in the Old and in the New Testament. Why? Because he shows up out of nowhere. The name Melchizedek, it's two Hebrew words slammed together, Melech and Sadek. 
And if you've ever studied Hebrew, again, now twice in one message, I think it's the Lord trying to tell you guys, study some Hebrew. It's not hard. I mean, I know we're all still working on English, but, you know, Melech means king and Sadek means what? Righteousness. So this man's name means the king of righteousness. Now, what's interesting, it says he's the king of Salem or Shalom, which we get the city Jerusalem. He is the king of Salem. The word Shalom means peace. So this guy is the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. And it says also that he is the priest of God most high. The king of righteousness, the king of peace, the priest of God most high. What does he have with him? Fascinating. Look what it says. He brought out bread and wine. Elements of communion, bread and wine, the communion table. It's fascinating. And what does he do? He blesses Abram. Now, you got to think about this for a second. Think about this. Abram comes back from victory. Right? He comes back in victory. And he meets a man whose name means the king of righteousness, who, who's the king of peace, who comes out with bread and wine, who's a priest of God most high, and he blesses Abraham. The book of Hebrews picks up on this. And you're going to read this. If you read the book of Hebrews all over and over and over again, in Hebrews chapter 7, you read about how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Not part of the Levitical priesthood, but part of a priesthood that even predated that. And I love this blessing, because look at how he blesses him. He blesses him by saying, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. I love this. Who does Abram belong to? God Most High. Abram is blessed because of who Abram's God is. That's why Abram's blessed. It has nothing to do with his victory. It has everything to do with who his God is. And I think this is important for us because we do live in 21st century America. There may have never been a more materialistic culture than ours. And most of us have more goods than anybody else in the world, but yet we don't realize that we are the most blessed, not because of the size of our house, not because of how new our car is, not because of how many toys we have, not because of how many channels we have on a plasma screen TV. None of these things actually matter because our blessings come because we are the possession of the God Most High who possesses all of creation. So if you're the kind of person whose glass happens to be half empty more than it is half full, you don't want to fill up that glass with self-help, which is no help at all. You don't want to fill up that glass with positive thinking. You want to fill up that glass with the reality that if you are born again, then you are a child of God. He adopted you by choice, his own choice, into his family and all of our value. All of our self-valuation comes from that relationship. And this is important because, you know, we live in a self-esteem culture as well. Now, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily against wanting to affirm people, 
But when you tell children you can do anything, you're actually lying to your kids. Because if I say to Obadiah, Obadiah, you can do anything. And he says, well, I want to have a baby in my womb and deliver it naturally. And I don't expect him to say that, you know, but I just set him up for failure. Say, Obadiah, you could do anything you want to do. And he ends up being like me. Five foot six. A lot packed into a little body, you know. And I always, I've always wanted to be a center in basketball. Because just the idea of dunking, you know what I mean? Like, you guys get what that, you know, you see, you see LeBron James, you know, and he has one of those power dunks and I'm just like, yes. And I can only dump on like, dunk on like a five foot net. You know, and I remember I used to play basketball on the courtyard with my friends and I had some friends who were pretty good ballers and, and I just wanted to post everybody up like a center, like just bump into them like this, bump in. But I'm like five foot six, you know. And my friends would just laugh because I just thought I was just Shaquille O'Neal, but I was really Spud Webb, you know? And they just, they just wait there and I turn around and jump and bang, you know? See, no matter how hard I tried, I'm never going to be an NBA center. God just didn't give me those genes. See, rather than telling our kids you can do anything, the way to truly build self-esteem, it's not self-esteem, it's grace-esteem. And we say, listen, I love you and God loves you more. You are my child, but God has adopted you into his family if you believe in Jesus. And listen, you're going to make a million mistakes, but God still loves you. And you're going to have to work hard every single day. You're going to say, God, I want to honor you. And some days you're going to fail. And when you fail, you're going to look to the cross and God's going to say, I loved you so much that I died for all your mistakes. And all the times that you do good, God, you're going to look to that cross and God, it's going to say, hey, look, I died on the cross for those mistakes, so don't get proud, son. And that is true. That is true human flourishing in the way we view ourselves. It has nothing to do with how we feel about ourselves. It has everything to do about who God is for us in Christ. And I love because the cross cuts the knees out of self-deprecation or looking down on yourself, having a negative self-image, because if you look down on yourself, God said, look, I loved you enough to send my son to die on a cross. So lighten up on yourself. And if you're really proud, um, God's gift to the world, you look at the cross and you realize that Jesus died on a cross for your sins. So Jesus cuts the legs out from thinking less of yourself, and he also cuts the leg out of thinking more of yourself than we ought. And we end up in that sweet spot with a true self-image that I am gloriously created, loved by God, yet fatally flawed and in need of salvation. That is where human flourishing is found. And what we're seeing right now, now 25, 30 years into the self-esteem culture, is that kids are more miserable than they ever were. Because they've been told that they're wonderful, and they look around, and they realize that they're just not. You're beautiful, but then you look at someone who's more beautiful. You're smart, and then you meet someone who's smarter. You can do anything, and you realize, I can't do anything. Economics are against me. My own genetics are against me. My own natural giftings are against me. And kids are more miserable now than they've ever been. Maybe it's because we're giving them the wrong type of esteem. Maybe we're teaching them false self-esteem. Instead, we should be teaching them about God, the way God views them. And Abram is blessed. He is blessed because of who his God is. Not only did Melchizedek bless Abram, but he also blessed the God Most High. I love this. See, it shows 
Melchizedek standing, in a sense, in the place like Jesus. Blessing mankind and blessing God by who he is and how he functions. And if you want to read about Melchizedek, again, write down Hebrews chapter 7. You can spend some time in there. Now notice what else Abram does in the end of verse 20. And he gave him a tithe of all. Wow. Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. And a tithe literally means a tenth. So of the spoils of war, Abram gives it, gives a tenth of it to Melchizedek. And this is the beginning of the idea of the tithe. Now, I want to say this. The law is God's standard for righteousness. So people say all the time, do you believe in the tithe? And I say, absolutely. And people say, well, the, we're not under the law, we're under, the, under grace. And nor, often when it comes to giving, people use that because they don't want to give. What I've learned is that people who give never squabble about the percentage. It's only the people who don't want to give. Now, you might say, well, but we're not under the law, we're under the grace, right? I'm like, I'm sh- of course. But if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 9... 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that God loves a cheerful giver, right? Now, know what the problem with that is? This is the problem. Because when you're under grace, why aren't I cheerful in giving everything? If you think about it, you'd rather a percentage given. You'd rather be under the law. Because the law just says, we'll give a tithe and a little bit more. But when you're under grace, God loves a cheerful giver. The question becomes, why aren't I cheerful? And that's the question for each one of us. Because listen, I know what it's like. I was naive enough when I got saved. I read in the Bible, you should give a tenth. And so I just got used to doing that in an offering. And so now it's just the way life is for me. But I don't know how many times I go to write that child check. I'm like, Lord, I could really be using that money right now. So I understand what that's like. Believe me. But the reality is, is that God asks us to be cheerful givers. And I always ask myself, Lord, why aren't I cheerful in my giving? And you know... If you ask yourself that question in the presence of the Spirit, you know what you're going to find out? Know why you're not cheerful in your giving? Because you're selfish. And I tell you that from my own experience. Okay? So I'm, I'm not trying to be mean or harsh. When I go to the Lord, I'm just like struggling and, I don't, and someone has a need and I can help and I don't want to help. And I say, God, why aren't I a cheerful giver? And God's like, well, you're selfish. That's why. Because you'd rather have extra money in the bank. You'd rather do X, Y, and Z. You'd rather go out to dinner one more time. You'd rather get, you know, the, the NFL package. And you can't watch it anyway because you work all day on Sundays. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you'd rather have all these things rather than helping somebody who has a need. And you know what that's called? Selfishness. So the reality is this. God loves a cheerful giver. God so cheerful in his giving, he gave his only begotten son. The most valuable thing to God in the world. The most valuable person he gave up for us. And it's interesting. Abram comes back. He just gives. Gives a tenth to this man, Melchizedek. Now, look what happens in verse 21. It says, Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, or literally the souls, and take the goods for yourself. But... Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Wow! 
So Abram's got all these goods. The king of Sodom comes and all he wants is the people. Now, you guys know Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you heard about it? You know, it's a type of evil, the evil of humanity. It's interesting that the king of Sodom, all he wants is the souls. That's how Satan is. Satan doesn't care about the stuff. He wants the people. That's what he wants. He's like, look, I want the people. You can keep all the goods. It's interesting. Right after, right after a great victory, there's temptation for Abram. He gets to take all the goods. But it's interesting what he says. Abram says, listen, I have raised my hand. I have worshipped God, the God most high. And I have said that I will not take anything, anything, lest you should say Abram, or I made Abram rich. I love this. Abram doesn't want what men can give him. He wants something greater. Abram does not want someone to say, this guy is blessed because I gave it to him. A lot of us want to be blessed the way men can give it. But it's interesting, the way Abram battles this temptation is because he's been worshiping. He's been worshiping, and that helps keep him from this moment of temptation. And it's fascinating, because what Abram also says, he's like, look, all that I'm going to take is what the people have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. So he's like, I only want the guys who went with me, the food that we already ate. But notice what he says in verse 24, let them take their portion. The end of verse 24 is fascinating, because Abram says, look, I'm not going to take anything, but I can't make the decision for somebody else. We cannot force our faith on other people. And we cannot expect other people who don't believe as we do to live as we think they ought. And I think that it's very sensitive of Abram not to say, listen, well, none of us are keeping anything because I'm the ringleader here. He says, look, I'm not taking anything, but these guys have to choose for themselves. And that's an important distinction for us. We live in a day and age where there's some people who want to impose our religion on people. I think that that's an error. The Christian church historically has already tried to force people to convert. And we call that time in the church's history the dark ages for a reason. A relationship with Jesus is a personal choice inspired by the Holy Spirit, followed up by a willing spirit. And we can't make somebody believe. So if you're the kind of person, and listen, I know it's like I'm, I can be a little pushy with people sometimes. Like, I'm the kind of person with someone I know, listen, you got to stop resisting Jesus and just get right with the Lord right now. I mean, what are we waiting for? You know, I like to talk to people I know that way. Be like, you know you're just resisting the King of Glory? You know what you're doing. Stop. But the reality is this. We can't force people to believe. We can only say, listen, there's a seat at the table waiting for you if you're willing to pull up to it. And you're going to make your own decisions. I can only encourage you to follow Jesus. Now, as we go into chapter 15, now we get into what is commonly called the Abrahamic covenant. Look at this. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But, Abram's, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now, 
toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now you can imagine this. Abram gets back. Everything settles down. And Abraham's sitting there and he's thinking to himself, man, I just defeated these five strong kings. They might come after me. And he might be thinking, darn, I gave up a lot of money. You guys know what that's like, right? Like you do something righteous and then you realize what you just passed on as well. And you're, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, man, maybe I did it wrong. I mean, I could have used all those goods. But I love the Lord comes to him and says, don't be afraid. I love that. Those three words I'm sure are for somebody in here today. Just don't be afraid. Don't be, why? He says, I am your shield. He's saying, Abram, I'm your protector. Don't worry. And not only that, he says, I'm your exceedingly great reward. He's like, listen, my riches that moth and rust cannot destroy, that thieves cannot break it and steal, I am so much more valuable than anything you gave back to the king of Sodom. I love this. He's like, look, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. And don't worry about what you gave up. I am of way more value. I'm an exceedingly great reward. And then Abram, he's struggling here because he's saying to himself, Lord, what will you give me seeing that I go childless and my house, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus saying, look, Lord, you promised me an heir. And right now, if I were to die, Eliezer of Damascus, who was my servant, he'd get everything. So he's saying, Lord, this is all great, but come on, God. Let's get this thing done. And I love what the Lord says in verse 4. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. He's saying, look, you're going to have an offspring. Remember I said this last week. God, the people in the land. Over and over and over again. Abram is getting reminded that he is going to have, there's going to be a people, and it's not going to be Eliezer or Damascus. It's going to be an offspring from his own body. And the Lord takes him outside in verse 5. He says, look up at the heavens. Count the stars. He says, so shall your descendants be. I love this. He's like, look up. Did you ever try and count the stars? Probably not since you were a kid, right? That's things that kids do. And you know what? We, we should start doing those things again. Jesus said we should be like children. You can't count the stars. There's just too many. He's like, Abram, that's how many descendants you're going to have. An innumerable multitude. And notice, look at how beautiful this is. Because chapter 15, verse 6 is actually the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Right here. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3, and James chapter 2 all bring this verse out. Essentially, there are two types of righteousness. One that is accomplished by our own efforts, which is right living, and one that is a gift bestowed by God. Jesus is Although the king of Sodom offered Abram all the good in his kingdom, Abram passed on his offer. He'd been seeking God, worshiping him, and he understood the value of that blessing. It was priceless. We are so happy that you're a part of our Jesus is Real radio family. 
Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported radio program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. We're asking for your support to expand into new territory so even more listeners can hear the message of Jesus. Your generous donation of any amount will help, whether you partner with us as a monthly supporter or if you're simply giving a one-time gift that God puts on your heart today. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Or donate online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can mail a check to Jesus Is Real Radio at 7708 NE 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for listening to Jesus Is Real Radio. As Pastor Daniel finishes out this message next time about the Abrahamic covenant, you'll find that Abram believed the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed in God's promises no matter how ludicrous they seemed. That's all coming up next time on Jesus Is Real Radio. Because